Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosophy 2.0, the One True Podcast. And the only podcast that is white and delightsome amongst a sea of dark and loathsome podcasts. Ew. Oh wait, no, that's good. It's a good thing. What? Yes. <laughs> we may be pure and delightsome, I'm not sure. I'm still waiting on the final call. I'm pale and moderately tolerable. This episode is going to be on Mormons and DNA. Mormons have DNA? Why not? This Mormon DNA. It'll be about Mormon DNA. Yeah. So sperm. Yes, and eggs. Yes, eggs. Let's not be sexist, Matt. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's right. It's not all about penis. <laughs> There's other things. It comes later. Uh, let's do skunk dicks. Um, I don't want to mention iTunes reviews because we have 666 iTunes reviews. Huh? I don't want to stay there. No, no ah! mas. No mas. <laughs> I tried to get a shot in the plane the other day when we were going Mach point six six six. Yes. But then the airspeed changed and we were going 668. And that wasn't as fun. So. And you crashed. And then, yes. You heard about that? <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Uh, should we go straight into skunk dicks then? I've got a pretty good skunk dick. Cliven Bundy! Never heard of him. Cliven? Cliven? Do you fucking really name your kid Cliven? Cliven. The fuck is wrong with you? Of course you name your kid Cliven. He's he's Mormon. Cliven Bundy. Is he Mormon? I mean, he is Mormon. He's a Mormon. Oh, I did not know that. Well, it all makes sense now, doesn't it? Yeah, it's all coming together. <laughs> and he's a rancher. So this is about a Nevada rancher who's been mooching off the federal government by not paying grazing fees like for the past 20 fucking years. Oh, sounds like some sort of welfare queen. So finally they decide, I think they tried to sue him, he wouldn't recognize it, wouldn't blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they go down there, uh, guns a-blazing to take his uh, cows away. Gotta yeah, take those cows away so they can't continue to uh, mooch off federal land. He says he doesn't recognize the federal government. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Never heard of ya, he I guess, said. <laughs> I guess he just buys shit with money printed uh, by the state of Nevada. Nevada Fucking money. Dick. It's all... Um, Monopoly money. <laughs> it's, it's all... Uh, what do you call those things you gamble with? It's all chips. It's all chips. It, it's been <laughs> chips. It's like a currency in Nevada. You can just use chips for everything. I don't recognize the federal government. That's why. That's why I'm not paying fees. Not because I'm a fucking douchebag. <laughs> just because I'm not a cheap fucking bastard. It's because I don't recognize the federal government. That's why. Okay. Well, so, I- big fat standoff. Uh, Sean Hannity apparently turns this guy into a massive folk hero. He's a little guy standing up to the big nasty government. And apparently a bunch of gun-toting conservative white assholes come to his defense because, you know, it's the government. The government. And, and so gun, somehow. Their, their plan is if they're going to take his cows, then we're going to line the strip with women to act as... Uh, uh, I don't know. Like a human shield. Human shield. <laughs> That's exactly what they're doing. They said, we'll put our women out there, and then that'll make them think twice, maybe, about shooting their way in. They shoot up, then they'll have national images of a bunch of women getting shot up. 
Right, so that'd be good PR for them. That'll show them. For the rancher. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, they won the standoff because the federal government didn't want to shoot a bunch of women, I guess. Yeah. What a bunch of... I won't say it. (laughs) (laughs) A bunch of pussies. Oh, you said it. Sexist bastard. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, I guess he's still not paying grazing fees. I don't know what's going to happen now. I don't know. But the story died down. Uh, but Clive and Bundy just didn't shed up. He's now, he, had, he had more to say. He's now flush with victory against this federal government. And he, uh, I guess this whole thing started because he was wondering why all the people who came to his ranch to defend himself and his ranch against the government were white. Mm. Why, why was that? He said, <laughs> and I quote, Where is our colored brother? Where is our Mexican brother? Where is our Chinese? Where are they? They're just Where? as much American as we are, and they're not with us. If they're not with us, they're going to be against us. Uh-oh. If, for a second there, I thought he was sounding kind of inclusive, kind of uh, melting potty a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, stop jumping to conclusions, Matt. <laughs> he sounds great. Sounds open-minded. He's uh, tolerant. Um, I mean, he's got the whole, if you're not with me, you're against me thing, but, you know. But other than that. <laughs> other than that, he sounds like a grandpa. Well, he goes on to say, you know, I've been wondering about oh. the Negro. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he should have stopped. He should have stopped earlier. <laughs> They abort their young children. They put their young men in jail because they never learned how to pick cotton. And I've often wondered, are they better off as slaves picking cotton and having a family life and doing things? Or are they better off under government subsidy? Gee, let let me think. (laughs) Maybe they were better off as slaves because at least they were taught how to pick cotton. Oh, they had a skill. <laughs> yeah, they had life skill. So you can imagine that now Republicans are abandoning him in droves. <laughs> and even Sean Hannity, who had him on his show like fucking 14 million times, has distanced himself and called these remarks racist. Even what? Even Hannity has done that? It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> I thought maybe just might be change the story but well he, he did that too he said this isn't about a man named clive and bundy <laughs> <laughs> this Look, is about the government overreaching that's, that's not the point we're getting off track here <laughs> sean this is actually uh really all about clive and bundy being a fucking government moocher and uh living off of federal land for free for 20 fucking years and oh he what a surprise! He happens to be racist. <laughs> I was not surprised. <laughs> was anyone shocked at all? Anyone? Oh my What's God. great about these guys is you just—if you stick a mic in front of them for long enough, eventually right. they're going to say something. Right. <laughs> it's the Duck Dynasty syndrome. There he was, flushed with victory, heaped up on testosterone. He can't fucking shut his mouth. Can't leave well enough alone. Oh. I was often wondering about the Negro. (laughs) Well, you know, 
what you do out there in Nevada, Chuck. You sit around, you free graze your cattle, and you wonder about the Negro. You wonder if they just weren't better off as slaves. Oh, imagine the great philosophical debates in the wee hours of the morning at the Bundy household. Bundy Ranch. <laughs> Bundy. <laughs> Fuck the federal government. They never should have emancipated the slaves. It just made them worse off. Oh, I was my wondering. God. Oh, my God. And and now that I know that he's he's LDS, it just kind of brings it full circle. <laughs> I just want to point out this, uh, this ad on the side that says, Palin, waterboarding is how we'd baptize terrorists if I were in charge. <laughs> I'm not even gonna read that article. I'm just gonna <laughs> fucking Christ. Just look that up. <laughs> All right, uh, Clive and Bundy. We may just end with that skunk dick. You know, so many skunk dicks, and we didn't even really, we didn't even mention that uh, Sterling, that owner of the Clippers, I guess, who right. doesn't like bringing black people to to his games. You know, I I was I think his big problem was his wife was Instagramming <laughs> pictures with with black people. It was his girlfriend. Or his girlfriend, that's right. She Instagrammed a picture of herself with Magic Johnson, and apparently that seriously <laughs> offended him. Yes. Oh, but that's not – he's not in the running. It's just no, an aside. It's a, he, he should be. He'll be an honorary candidate. <laughs> but, but Clive and Bundy takes the cake on that one. Clive and Bundy's fun. But, you know, it's not all, it's not all Bundy's day yet, Chuck. Ken Ham. Candidates? Ken Ham. Is still in the running. He likes to. He likes. To, he likes to get in there. Just when you think he's out, he jumps in. I can't believe that guy's still alive. <laughs> so the the Smithsonian got a new T Rex skeleton, like a full, complete skeleton, I guess. Wow. Um, or com- mostly complete, I guess. Anyway, it's a great. It's a great fossil. It's going to the Smithsonian. It's going to be wonderful, right? But for Ken Ham, no, it's a chance for uh, the government. Oh no, not the government, but but secularists, secularists. <laughs> can you say that for me, secularists? I can't do say? a Ken Ham accent. What are you talking about? Uh, secularists. They know that children love dinosaurs, and they use dinosaurs to indoctrinate kids into evolutionary ideas. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. How unlike. <laughs> Kent, Dr. Dino, Hovind. Well, he's making a good point because the Smithsonian is funded by our tax dollars. I see. So in reality, I quote, the government is imposing the religion of evolution and millions of years on children visiting the Smithsonian while also claiming a supposed separation of church and state. Our tax dollars are funding the religion of naturalism, atheism, and its evolutionary story to be exhibited in the Smithsonian in the nation's capital. You see, Chuck? A T-Rex. <laughs> Constantly surprised by how uh, these creationists call reality a religion. Right. <laughs> you you and your religion of reality. And naturalism. Stop, and millions of years. Stop teaching our children accurate stuff. I do like the fact that the T-Rex is the preacher of our religion of naturalism. <laughs> I like how millions of years is also a religion. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, millions of years. Oh, man, this we is worship crazy. you millions of years. <laughs> That's his thing in the museum. Isn't that in there somewhere? Has anybody been there? Isn't that on the walls, like millions of years, as they make fun of it or something? Listen, Ken Ham, naturalism is just historical 
religion. What we like is observational religion. <laughs> Wait. Naturalist, that is observational religion. <laughs> I love how he's mad that uh, the <laughs> T-Rex is used to promote science. God. You know, because it's not as if they were actually found by scientists, yeah. unearthed by scientists in the scientific progress and process. And and uh, uh, heaven forbid you use it to promote science. No. No. Kids like dinosaurs. They love them. They're the gateway drug to science for kids, <laughs> according to Kirk Johnson, <laughs> museum director. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's being very honest. Well, I like it. I like that. Let's get they kids are. addicted to dinosaurs. Ken Ham understands that. He's like, look yeah. at him, you know. He's being out-propagandized. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, Ken Ham. Excellent. Uh, let's see. Oh, you also found an article from Time, Why Science Does Not Disprove God. Yeah. Did you know that? Uh, speaking of you, you're one of those scientific atheists, aren't you? I thought that science uh, disproved God a long time ago. No, it did not. Damn because it. science, uh, although they have won major victories against entrenched religious dogma, and they've brought us an immense amount of knowledge and uh, understanding, but um, then we've we've won several battles, but not the war. No, it has it has not revealed to us why the universe came into existence, nor it preceded its birth. Equally, biological evolution has not brought us the slightest understanding of how the first living organisms emerged from inanimate matter on this planet. This guy, blah, is, blah, 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 this blah. guy is an idiot. Oh, it's a it's a giant argument from ignorance, but but he's got some good points, Chuck. Oh yeah. So he quotes uh, the great British mathematician Roger Penrose. You know Roger Penrose. He is uh, famous for. Uh, uh, working with Stephen Hawking, I think they had their they had their bet at one time uh, whether or not a certain um, object was a black hole or not, and something it was something like a subscription to penthouse or a buck or I don't know. Anyway, he calculated. Get out your pencils. The probability of the emergence of a life-giving cosmos was one divided by ten raised to the power of ten, and again raised to the power of one hundred and twenty-three. Oh my this god! This is a number. As close to zero as anyone have ever imagined. Uh, Matt, I think it's impossible to imagine a number closer to zero it's, than that. If such a thing could be done, what what could one receive? I could uh, let me try. How about all of that raised to the power of 124? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Apply immediately to the Guinness Book of World Records. You have now imagined a number closer to zero than anyone in the history of mankind. Yes. Yes. Anyway, the well, scientific. If, oh, yes. If sci- ma- British mathematician Roger Penrose has calculated that, well, by God, by God, it must be true. It turns out Kirk Hastings was almost right after all. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that number is not far less than zero. Well, with a little bit more work, I'm sure we can get that number less than zero. Oh my God. The incredible fine-tuning of the universe presents the most powerful argument for the existence of an imminent, creative entity we may well call God. Lacking convincing scientific evidence to the contrary, such a power may be necessary to force all the parameters... Oh, is that how we work? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lacking convincing scientific evidence to the contrary, leprechauns exist! 
when you don't have the science, it's magic. You can't prove the Tooth Fairy doesn't exist. Therefore, if you don't have convincing scientific evidence to the contrary, all propositions must be true. <laughs> yep. Oh, you sound like one of those scientific atheists that are scrambling to explain this troubling mystery. Can we get Amir DXL to please, please, please read the argument from ignorance? Read about the fallacy, because this this entire article is one gigantic argument from (laughs) ignorance. We don't know. We have no idea whether life as we don't know it may exist uh, with other physical parameters, yeah. So uh, this fine tuning that you know that the creationists think that is such a powerful evidence uh, of the existence of God. I mean, if the universe were so fine tuned for life, why isn't it fucking everywhere? Well, I, lo- I love that argument. The the fine tune that that is fine tuned for life, where if you look at the just the observable universe as a whole, it's like it's not really made for, for not for our life anyway. No. We exist. On the thinnest skin of a one tiny rock, you know? Out of hundreds of billions of galaxies, each having hundreds of billions of stars, we're the only life in the entire universe that we know of. How the fuck can you say that it is fine-tuned for our existence? Uh, you the- can't even go very high in the atmosphere before right. you die. Or vary the temperature very much. Yeah. Or oxygen levels, or blah, 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 so, blah. Uh, Lacking evidence to the contrary. I love that. I love it. Lacking. You're lacking. Lacking evidence to the contrary. All right, let's feed that into the computer. My uh, my vote is still for Cliven Bundy, just by the fact that his name is Cliven Bundy. Cliven Bundy. I'm gonna give it to him so he sweeps. So he sweeps it. He's gonna get a sweep. All right. Uh, feed that into the computer. <laughs> Uh, no, he didn't win it. That's surprising. What? That is surprising. No Bundy? Uh, we instead have an unnamed uh, Islamic mullah. A mullah? A, a mullah. Mullah? Mullah? Apparently the skunk dick of the week actually is <laughs> all of Islam, because this is, this comes directly from the Prophet Muhammad in the Quran. Oh, okay. Hold on, I was doing a, a Ferris Bueller joke, though. Mueller? Mullah? <laughs> <laughs> All right, continue. Just let me know when you're done. <laughs> and you know, remember who said that? The movie Ben Stein. Ben Stein of. Remember Ben Stein? Basically, a, he's a skunk. Expelled. Kid. Expelled. <laughs> Expelled. Oh, Matt. Um, what does this moolah say, Chuck? In this uh, video clip, uh, the the moolah states that uh, Allah honored wives by instating the punishment of beatings. Ah, to honor them, I see. You see how they, this honors the wives. Um, but uh, Please go on. <laughs> this is only a last resort. First, first, Matt, the husband must admonish her. Oh. And uh, if, if she is not deterred, then uh, the next step is to refuse to share the bed with her. Oh, well, that's kind of mean. I mean, come on. Now, if what? she is still not repentant... Yes. After those steps have been taken, he must beat her. Oh, I was going to say maybe she doesn't get dinner or something. But there, no, there are rules to the beating, though, Matt. There's Holy a beating shit. etiquette. Oh, there's an etiquette. Oh, now, I thought I was getting crazy for a second. The Prophet Muhammad said, do not beat her in her face to make her ugly. 
<laughs> you see, see how she is honored. You don't want to do that. <laughs> Even when he beats her, he must not curse her. I love this part of the video because he wags his finger. Oh, Even yeah. when he beats her, he must not curse her. You must not curse. I don't know what uh, accent doing that. <laughs> you must not curse her. There must not be more than ten beatings. Oh. Well, these rules make it sound reasonable. See, this is all decisions that you make during this process of beating. Uh, process. <clears throat> you must not break her bones, injure her, break Tough. her teeth, which apparently yeah. teeth are different than bones, I suppose. I guess. Well, that would make her ugly. You <laughs> must not poke her in the eye for some reason. <laughs> do not poke her. No. Matt, uh, when you are beating your wife, do not raise mm-hmm. your hand high. Oh. You must only beat from chest level. Okay. And it, you, it is okay to beat with a short rod, but like mice. My... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his please, penis. Please do not leave a mark. <laughs> now, um, all these all these rules are there, of course, to honor the woman. Yes, who's being beaten, um, and and to further honor the woman, the punishment of beating is only allowed in one case only. Oh, good, because this sounded fucking insane to me. <laughs> But, Only acceptable but, to beat your wife when she refuses to sleep with you. Oh, okay. Well, now it all makes sense. Well, that doesn't make sense because <laughs> earlier he said if she's not deterred, the husband must refuse to share the bed with her. Well, oh. What the fuck is he beating her for in the first place? <laughs> if you don't sleep with me, I will sleep I with you. will not <laughs> share my bed with you. And if that doesn't make you sleep with me, <laughs> I guess I must beat you. Are these now guys just it. making this shit up as they go along? Is that what mullahs do? <laughs> no, these are rules. The Prophet Muhammad, I believe, <laughs> said the rules. Uh, no more than ten beatings, and for God's sake, do not beat her in the face to make her ugly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, let's just be reasonable. Let's, let's not... be civilized here. It's, yes, exactly. Ah, uh, the religion of peace. Skunk dick of the week, <laughs> Islam. I like to. I want to add that um, <laughs> it's not only the women that get beaten, though. Sometimes <laughs> I gotta read this really quick. Uh, an Iranian cleric. It's it's like a mullah, but he's just a cleric. Uh, said he was beaten by a woman in the northern province uh, in Iran after delivering a warning about her modest style of dress. These are the these are the uh, the modesty police. What do they call them there? The ones that go around and tell women like, "Hey, cover yourself up," you know. Um, They're called clerics. Clerics, yes. She, she, he told her to cover up. She told him, "You cover up." <laughs> I believe the proper term is asshole, asshole, who should mind his own fucking business. And she pushed him to the floor. I love how he thinks he has authority over people, right? Because he's a fucking cleric. Hey, you, you don't meet my standard of modesty, so fucking cover yourself up. Well, he does actually. They have police. These are police forces that run modesty patrols. Really? Um, this is this is life in Iran. You know. Um, he. This is the guy. Hoja. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm just going to murder this name. <laughs> Hoja Tolaslam Ali Beheshti. I politely asked her to cover herself. Politely, I'm sure. <laughs> I politely told her to cover herself up because she was arousing my short rod. Right. Not only did she not cover herself up, but she insulted me. Oh Master. my god! She not insulted me anymore. But the she started yelling. This woman, <laughs> she silly said, woman. She pushed me. I fell on my back. 
I bumped my head. It was very shameful. I was shamed by the whole thing. I don't know what what is this accent I'm doing. It's like a Indian. <laughs> Indian. I don't know. That is not how they talk. Anyway, um, yeah. So keep beating up the clerics, Iranian women. I love it. So he the the outcome of that was. He was ashamed, and she got to walk on. Uh, man, that's a fantastic. Yeah, I feel, you know what? Um, he said he was hospitalized for three days. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he thinks twice the next time he sticks his fucking nose in someone else's business. Uh, What's I, easier, I Mr. Cleric? You just look away, or for someone to go home and change their fucking clothes? No! In 1979, when the Shiite Muslim religious leaders took power in Iran, they installed modesty regulations requiring that women cover their bodies and heads in order to preserve society's morals and security. Uh-huh. That makes sense. <laughs> yep. Uh, the, only, the good news out of this is that there, there is – recently there's more push by uh, mostly young women that are expressing their resistance to uh, their dress codes. So uh, – Good luck. <laughs> Great. I feel bad for you. It's amazing that's even it's even an issue in, you know, 21st century. I know. I I love to see that people sometimes with the teenagers though, Chuck. I I want to say something. Yeah. Pull those pants up. Yeah. <laughs> Don't. You're going to get pushed. I know. They'll push me. Teenagers are scary. Who appointed you, modesty police, you fucker? <laughs> That's why I don't say anything. I just avert my eyes. Ah, <laughs> oh, the good old days when we go and beat random teenagers on the streets. <laughs> Although the great thing about is if any of these uh, low jean wearing guys comes after you, is you just slowly jog away. <laughs> they can't keep up. There's their no, pants are around no their chance. <laughs> All right, Matt, the actual topic of the podcast uh, is not Cliven Bundy or Islamic mullahs. It is no. Mormons and DNA. Ooh. Now, Ew. Um, the, the central claim of the Book of Mormon is that um, the uh, yes. Americas were populated by a group of Hebrews um, who had uh, traveled in or about 600 B.C. to the Americas and uh, subsequently engaged in uh, a bunch of wars. They split up into two different um, tribes, and, and uh, eventually uh, one evil tribe, ah! one evil, lazy, dark, and loathsome tribe, the Lamanites, defeated the other tribe, the Nephites, and uh, became the principal ancestors of the uh, Native Americans. And so it, it purports to explain the existence of the Native Americans. I see. Now, as the as a non Mormon, Chuck, me, not raised Mormon, uh, is it true? Maybe this is my cartoonish version of <laughs> LDS scripture, but is it is it in there that Jesus came to North America or the Western Hemisphere as well? Yes, it's a central event. <clears throat> oh, over that, the central event. He comes over um, with his cowboy boots on and kicks some fucking ass. <laughs> And then he grazed his cows for free. <laughs> for centuries. So um, this central claim that uh, Native Americans come from Hebrew ancestry is testable now. Uh, not in Joseph Smith's time, when the Book of Mormon was uh, discovered, should I say? Yeah. Or more accurately, written in the 19th century. 
Um, Speed up. <laughs> there was no way even to conceive of how you would test this central claim, uh, but now there is. So th- this podcast is going to be about does the central Mormon claim of Hebrew ancestry for the Native Americans pan out with modern scientific testing of DNA? Your yes. guess, Matt? Your guess? Yeah. Yes? <laughs> yes, of course it does, because God said it, and it must be true. Well, Chuck, they, they put it in there that they came, that's where the Indians came from, and they're still Indians. <laughs> well, let's go over, let's go over a little more detail. I've given you the broad sketch, a little more detail of the actual Mormon claims. So, well, let me put it this way. If more, if... Mormons didn't come from the Indians, then why do we still have Indians? Exactly. <laughs> Irrefutable. Irrefutable. Is that the best way to put that? <laughs> I was trying to make a monkey joke. <laughs> the introduction to the Book of Mormon in 1981, and I believe that was the introduction in 1981 all the way to 2006, um, says the Book of Mormon is a volume of holy scripture comparable to the Bible. It is a record of God's dealings with the ancient inhabitants of the Americas and contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel. So this is, um, they're claiming this is actual history of uh, the ancient inhabitants of the Americas. Okay. So the book was written by many ancient prophets by the spirit of prophecy and revelation. Their words, written on gold plates, were quoted and abridged by a prophet historian named Mormon. The record gives an account of two great civilizations. One came from Jerusalem in 600 B.C. and afterwards separated into two nations known as the Nephites and the Lamanites. The other came much earlier when the Lord confounded the tongues at the Tower of Babel, which, by the way, the Book of Mormon treats as a literal fucking historical event. Well, uh, there's a few other groups out there that do that as well. This group is known as the Jaredites. So, all right, so that that's true. The Jaredites came over around, I think, like 2200 B.C., and eventually nearly died out, and then uh, the Nephites came over. There's one other group, I think the Mulekites came over around the same time as the uh, Nephites. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> continuing with the introduction. After thousands of years, all were destroyed except the Lamanites, and they are the principal ancestors of the American Indians. Now, that introduction stayed that way until 2006. In 2006, I think the writing was on the wall as far as the DNA <laughs> concludes. <laughs> and so they changed it from the principal ancestors to among the ancestors um, oh. of the American Indians. You see, that's easier to defend. <laughs> right. Among the ancestors. Just, just, just some of them. I wonder which ones. So, <laughs> we're still looking for them. The old man. All right, so Lehi, who is um, the, main, the main guy to transfer over, well, let me back up. I, I suppose let's start with the Jaredites. They made a trip shortly after the Tower of Babel to the Americas to find a land that had never been inhabited by man. So that means nobody was here. Ether chapter two, verse four to five, and it came to pass that when they had come down into the valley of Nimrod, the Lord came down and talked with the brother of Jared, and he was in a cloud. This is terrible grammar. His brother was in a cloud. <laughs> terrible grammar. Or the Lord was. I believe the Lord was in a cloud. And the brother of Jared saw him not. Oh, that makes sense. And it came to pass that the Lord commanded them that they should go forth into the wilderness, yea, into that quarter where there had never man been. (laughs) That's not how you end a sentence. Another another, uh, evidence of bad grammar. uh, I love, I just love how, sorry, I just love how everything in the Book of Mormon starts with it came, and it came to pass. Always. Like, (laughs) 
<laughs> like, hey, by the way, this is Old Testament stuff here. Huh? See? So the Jaredites, oh, you knew like one trick. The <laughs> Jaredites died out around 130 BC. Um, so there's a little bit of overlap between uh, the Jaredites and, and the Lehites. So, so Lehi is a Wait, Hebrew. Wait, how did they die out? Do they have an explanation for that? Massive war. Oh, mass- massive <laughs> war for like no reason. There's like two million people come and faced each other and, and pretty much destroyed everybody. Anyway. All right. Lehi is a Hebrew prophet, lives in Jerusalem around 600 BC, right? Um, mm-hmm. He traces his ancestry back via Manasseh to Joseph. You can find this out in 1 Nephi 5.14. He takes his family. So the Lord tells him that, about the pending destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, he takes his family out of Jerusalem. And he also takes another family um, so that his sons may have wives, right? So in all, there's about 20 people that come with Lehi. Uh, they, they build a big ship. <laughs> yeah, that's what you got to do. Like Noah, travel across the Atlantic and uh, arrive in the Americas. So he arrives by boat. He has a vision. Notwithstanding our afflictions, we have obtained a land of promise, a land which is choice above all other lands, a land which the Lord God hath covenanted with me should be a land for the inheritance of my seed. Yea, the Lord hath covenanted this land unto me and to my children forever, and also those who should be led out of other countries by the hand of the Lord. So I guess the only way to come to America is to be led out of their country of origin by the hand of the Lord. That's quite a proclamation. Yes, this is my land and my children's, and also any others I may later specify. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) And behold, it is wisdom that this land should be kept as yet from the knowledge of other nations. For behold, many nations would overrun the land, that there would be no place for an inheritance. So so this suggests... (laughs) I have beholded that. Yes. This suggests that there's no one there, right? The Lord has Mm -hmm. kept the knowledge of this land from all other nations. Otherwise, they'd all come. So that's in 2 Nephi 1, the the first fucking chapter of 2 Nephi, verses 5 through 8. So now Lehi's family breaks up into separate nations, right? The, The Nephites, who are smart, righteous, industrious, hardworking, technologically advanced, and white. Of course. <laughs> and the Lamanites, who are, of course, dumb, lazy, backward, and black. Because oh. God cursed them that way in Second Nephi 5.20. Wherefore, the word of the Lord was fulfilled, which he spake unto me, saying that inasmuch as they will not hearken unto thy words, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And behold, they were cut off from his presence. Oh, well, like you well, said. Well, there you go. Prophecy <laughs> yeah. fulfilled. And he had caused the cursing to come upon them, yea, even a sore cursing, because of their iniquity. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, that they had become like unto a flint. Wherefore, as they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome, that they might not be enticing unto my people, the Lord God did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them. And thus saith the Lord God, I will cause that they shall be loathsome unto thy people, save that they shall repent of their iniquities. And cursed shall be the seed of him that mixeth with their seed, for they shall be cursed even with the same cursing. So there you have the 19th century, right? Um, uh, don't don't mix with black people. Who writes this shit? And God does. It, God it, writes this shit. I curse you with my cursings. The Lord, yeah, he's very repetitive, isn't he? He is. Behold my curse. Behold, I curse you with a sore cursing, even one that is very bothersome. 
Yes. A sore, very bad cursing. These two nations fight in almost a constant state of warfare. Now, this is broken up by a brief period of peace after Christ's visit to the Americas. You know, he, he kicks the Wait. shit out of everything, blows them up, earthquakes, sinks villages and cities into the sea, uh, tells them to fucking get their act together, and they do for a, for a small period of time. And then, of course... That's what he does? Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't do that to the, the Romans who actually crucified him, but he kicks the shit out of the people in America half a world away. Well, you got you got to tailor your 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 punishment. You got to tailor you know the actions you take for the group, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the punishment's got to fit the crime. There you go. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Exactly. Uh, war breaks out again. Eventually, the Nephites are are made extinct, and only the Lamanites remain. Actually, Nephi has a vision of this fate uh, when he prophesies about the fate of the Lamanites. And now, I would prophesy somewhat more concerning the Jews and the Gentiles. By the way, they're all Jews, so there's no such thing as a Gentile in the, in the Americas unless there are other people, but they never mention that. Uh, For after the book of which I have spoken shall come forth and be written unto the Gentiles and sealed up again unto the Lord, there shall be many which shall believe the words which are written. Now he's talking about Joseph Smith's time, right? Oh, okay. And they shall carry them forth unto the remnant of our seed. And then shall the remnant of our seed know concerning us how that we came out from Jerusalem, and that they are the descendants of the Jews. He's talking about the Native Americans in Joseph Smith's times. And the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be declared among them. Wherefore, they shall be restored unto the knowledge of their fathers, and also to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which was had among their fathers. And then shall they rejoice, for they shall know that it is a blessing unto them from the hand of God, and their scales of darkness shall begin to fall from their eyes, and many generations shall not pass away among them, save they shall be a pure and a delightsome people. That's Second Nephi 33-6. Now, is this prophecy being fulfilled? I mean, it's been fucking 170 years since the Book of Mormon, 180 years since the Book of Mormon. Well, he, he's writing to his crowd here, right? He's writing, he's just basically prophesizing about himself. He's prophesying about when Joseph Smith uh, finds the book that he shall write and brings that gospel to the remnants of his seed, so the American Indians, that they shall be restored to the knowledge that their fathers wow. were from the house of Israel. They are a remnant of the seed of Israel, and uh, that they, they shall again come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And after that, it shouldn't be uh, more than a few generations before they shall be a pure and delightsome people. Oh, well, I guess I guess they still have a few to go. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I wonder how many is many generations. What do you think the conversion rate is amongst Native Americans? <laughs> Nephites. Nephites, I mean. Now, this this idea is backed up by God himself in the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, in a revelation given by God to Joseph Smith. So this is God himself talking. And, and this testimony shall come to the knowledge of the Lamanites and the Lemuelites and the Ishmaelites who dwindled in unbelief because of the iniquity of their fathers whom the Lord hath suffered to destroy their brethren the Nephites because of the iniquities and their abominations. Jesus. And for this very purpose are these plates preserved which contain these records that the promises of the Lord might be fulfilled which he made to his people and that the Lamanites might come to the knowledge of their fathers and that they might know the promises of the Lord and that they might believe the gospel and rely upon the merits of Jesus Christ and be glorified through faith in his name that through their repentance they might be saved. Amen. So he's talking about the Native Americans as uh, the remnants of the house of Israel, right? Right. 
So that's the uh, Mormon story. And it seems like that when they came, there was no one there in the entire continent. God had kept the entire land, the continent, preserved from the knowledge of other nations. He kept it hidden. And so they arrived, uh, and certainly the Jaredites arrived where, you know, there had been no man, right? No man had been. Maybe there were women. They they multiplied and became prosperous and kind of fought each other, and, and eventually just the Lamanites remained. And those Lamanites were the Native Americans that uh, Columbus encountered, right? That's the Mormon okay. story. So, are they, so they're saying a tribe came over, and then Jesus came over and destroyed them, and then no. the other, the new tribes came over. Did I get that in the wrong order? Uh, there's a little bit of overlap. So the Jaredites came in about 2200 or 2100, right after the Tower of Babel. And uh, they um, fought each other, multiple wars, very similar to the Nephites and the Lamanites. And they died out around 130 B.C. But the, uh, the Lehites and the Mulekites came over around 600 uh, B.C., before or during the destruction of Jerusalem. So Lehi came before, and I think the Mulekites came during the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, um, Lehi had uh, his sons, Nephi and Laman, um, split up into two groups, right? They became warring tribes, and they fought each other, and there were prophets calling people to repentance. Well, eventually, Jesus arrived in the Americas, found them in a state of iniquity, and destroyed a bunch of their cities. (laughs) Now I see. He must have been pissed after the whole Roman thing. Very angry. Took (laughs) Took it out on the Americas, because you don't get a hint of that when he returns in Jerusalem (laughs) or to the Galilee right? and then uh, after that they lived in peace for a little while and then a couple hundred years later I think around 400 AD is when the last of the Nephites finally died out and um, Moroni took the book he's the son of Mormon he took the book over and planted it in the hill Cumorah where Joseph Smith found it in New York ah maybe they were the Clovis culture (laughs) Or the Fremonts. Ah, uh, you're getting ahead of yourself. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so the question is, what does science... That is the Book of Mormon claim made by Joseph Smith in the year 1830, right? And right. subsequently, all of the fucking prophets since. And they've actually expanded the claim to the Polynesians, right? The Pacific Islanders. What? <laughs> uh, they're, they're all um, apparently uh, descendants of Lehi as well. So apparently that spread came out from America to the Pacific Islands. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, um, so not only are all the Native Americans, but all the Polynesians are apparently uh, Hebrew as well. So the question is, what does science have to say about it, right? Well, science cannot disprove this, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> This is God stuff. In absence of uh, contradictory evidence, <laughs> it must be true. Yeah. Um, Do you have contradictory evidence? I might. Okay. Uh, so the Bible story gives the entire human race, descending from about eight people, right, 4,400 years ago after a worldwide flood. Um, science actually tells us that humans emerged out of a founding population from Africa in this, this series of migrations starting as early about as about 100,000 years ago, right? Right. Um, one of these migrations, somewhere around 50,000 years ago, spread into Southeast Asia. And from there, somewhere around 15 to 20,000 years ago, during the last Ice Age, a population migrated across a small land bridge in what is now the Bering Strait. So this was exposed... Uh, because the sea levels had fallen, because most of the water is being bound up in ice. 
So it's difficult to track ancestry with normal DNA, right? Because it undergoes recombination um, when the cells kind of split up and divide. It exchanges information between chromosomes during meiosis. So, uh, and this happens pretty much largely at random, so it's hard to track down ancestry through autosomal DNA. Mm. Um, th- this is useful because it helps randomize the passage of alleles from one generation to the next, right? Which, which of course, increases our diversity as a species, which is pretty much the only reason for sexual reproduction. That, that's why we don't bud off little humans off the oh. arm or split by binary fission. Wouldn't that be awesome, though? be awesome. <laughs> we'd all be clones. We'd be like, we could point it out. You'd be like, hey, look, Chuck, you're budding. <laughs> you could call in sick for work or something. Um, I'm splitting today. Sorry, I can't come in. <laughs> so now the question is how, because we are now able to do it. So how do we do it? Um, mitochondria, the energy producing organelles in each cell, have their own separate DNA. Now th- this is um, because when the, the first cells became eukaryotes instead of prokaryotes. So prokaryotes, bacteria, essentially have their genetic material just floating around in this inside the cytoplasm of the cell. The eukaryotes, us, actually have a nucleus that's, that's, that has a um, border, uh, like a cell... Membrane. Thank you. A cell membrane. Um, and it has little organelles inside of it. At the very beginning of this process, one of the cells must have engulfed a little bacteria very similar to the mitochondria and just kind of put that mitochondria to work, making energy for the cell. So this this little tiny remnant of bacteria, uh, this mitochondrial organelle, actually has its own DNA. It's a little uh, circular piece of DNA, like uh, a lot of bacteria, and has about 17,000 base pairs. Now that mitochondrial DNA does not undergo any gene shuffling or recombination, right? It's not in chromosomes. It's not packed up in chromosomes. And every piece of mitochondrial DNA we have comes from our mother because when the sperm uh, swim along and, and penetrate the egg, uh, it ejects the, the um, genetic material in there, but the, the mitochondria don't go through. So the mitochondria we have come from the egg, which comes from our mother. So the mitochondrial DNA represents a maternal line of inheritance, right? Right. So we can actually trace maternal ancestry down through mitochondrial DNA. And that was the first kind of tracker that, that, that we had um, to track ancestry through DNA. Now we also have uh, genetic information on the Y chromosome. That was a lot more difficult because the Y chromosome has orders of magnitude more base pairs, more ge- genetic material than the the tiny mitochondrial DNA, um, but that is actually that does not go through uh, recombination either, since it's a, a sex chromosome. So uh, it's obviously passed down only from father to son, right? So that that is a paternal line of inheritance. No females get uh, Y chromosomes, right? Females are XX, males are XY. Right. So uh, the important thing is we can test these two lines of ancestry independent of one another and see if they both point in the same direction. So this gives us kind of a um, two ways of tracing ancestry that we can test against each other. So mitochondrial DNA and, and Y chromosomal DNA remain pretty intact from generation to generation. They don't recombine, they don't mix, but they do slowly accumulate random mutations uh, and that's just a fact of, of uh, copying from generation to generation. So when this happens, lineages branch. So um, you have one that uh, doesn't have the uh, mutation 
and you and and that goes off and reproduces and you have descendants then that do have the mutations and if they're genetically isolated they don't pass it back and forth between each other and and they actually form different kind of genetic groups and since they're geographically isolated those groups can actually track in uh, different countries right different geographies right so um, closely related lineages obviously have a very similar DNA they don't have um, time to uh, kind of branch off and have different mutations <clears throat> single lineages are called haplotypes and groups of related in lineages are, are called haplogroups the populations with the most diverse amount uh, of haplogroups um, would be the oldest groups because they haven't branched off and lost uh, any genetic information right? right they still have all the original information um, those groups are found in Africa. So this, this provides support for the out-of-Africa hypothesis. Um, as populations migrated out of Africa, they only took with them certain portions of genetic material, right? So right. Uh, they would only have certain haplogroups and not others. Um, so those populations would only be a subset of the larger African founding population, and, and they'd be less diverse. Now, um, with that kind of background in mind. What does DNA science have to say about Native Americans? This Lots. is very important. because this is, the, this is the claim here, right? This is the claim. Do Native Americans have Hebrew ancestry or not? Well, uh, over 7,000 Native Americans have been tested uh, from about 175 different Native groups. And this has revealed four major founding haplogroups uh, named A, B, C, and D. So about 90 6.5% of Native Americans fall into one of these four haplogroups. These four haplogroups uh, trace their ancestry back. Um, they have the most in common with tribal groups around uh, East Asia, specifically Siberia and more specifically in an area around Lake Baikal. Oh, that's beautiful. It's beautiful there. <laughs> that's where I would live. Beautiful Siberia. <laughs> Not... The Middle East. However, there's another minor haplogroup, haplogroup X, uh, that's found to represent about 3% of Native Americans. Um, haplogroup X can also be found in about 4% of Western European populations and also in the Middle East. So, um, uh, you know, about 10, 15 years ago when I was arguing uh, on Usenet forums, this was the response. Um, well, even though 97% of Native Americans trace their ancestry back to uh, East Asia in Siberia, there's this 3% that, that looks like it's Middle Eastern DNA, so that must be the remnants of Lehi and Nephi and Laman and Lemuel. You mean we're wrong all along? The Mormons are right? <laughs> Could the Mormons possibly be right? Well, uh, in the last 10-15 years, uh, they have actually tested the haplogroup X more thoroughly. Originally, it was thought to originate um, from post-Columbian genetic mixing. You know, it's about 500 years ago. These waves of migration come uh, as the the old world is, is settling. You know, they're establishing um, settlements in the new world, and so they thought that maybe this it was from Western Europeans. But it turns out that as as we dig up bones ranging from 700 to 7,000 years ago. Haplogroup X is also found in these, um, so that rules out post-Columbian origin. This is this is ancient. Right. Unfortunately, it also rules out uh, Mormon explanations, right? Uh -oh. uh, because their uh, Middle Eastern DNA would have had to migrate from the Middle East 
around 2,600 years ago. So if it was present 7,000 years ago, then that rules out an origin from Lehi, right, 2,600 years ago. Right. Um, but also for the degree of variation uh, between these X lineages to be explained, there's too many mutations uh, for it to be a mere 2,600 years. Um, for the degree of variation to be explained, it has to go all the way back to about 14,000 years ago. And the, the original migration, right, over the, the land bridge. So this haplogroup X must have come all the way from Siberia as well. Uh, and it turns out that about 22,000 years ago is when that haplogroup X diverged from European X lineages. So that, that may have been in the original migration uh, to Siberia in the first place. Uh, unfortunately, however, too, um, the X lineages, unfortunately for the Mormons, the X lineage is most common in North America and Alaska. <laughs> it's mostly absent in uh, Mesoamerica, which is supposedly the most likely site of the Book of Mormon, right? Nope. So anyway, uh, that is mitochondrial DNA. That's the maternal uh, line. What does the paternal line, maybe the paternal line, Matt, gives the Mormons some comfort well, yes, because men are really the important ones. Anyway. So. <laughs> exactly. And I'm sure that these men reproduced in isolation from the women, so it probably says something totally yes. different. Yes. Well, they they had to, I think, somehow. So why, <laughs> in order for the Book of Mormon to be true? Uh, why chromosomal haplogroups Q and C are the most common? Unfortunately, they are also of Asian descent. Uh, studies oh. give an estimate about 17,000 years ago for the founding. So within error bars is about the same. Well, you think that coming here over here and spilling their seed everywhere that it would have worked out for them? <laughs> exactly. So again, um, you trace the the Y chromosomal DNA back to their source. We find the population with the most DNA in common with Native Americans, um, both the mitochondrial and the Y chromosomal. Uh, again, living near Lake Baikal in uh, Baikal in, in Siberia, um, specifically Altaians, Mongolians, Tuva, and the Buryat peoples. Um, recently, haplogroup X was found in a small percentage of the population that ne- lives near the Altaian Mountains in Siberia. Uh, so sometime around seventeen to 20,000 years ago, a population migrated northward out from around Lake Baikal over the exposed Bering Strait and then southward across Americas. You can actually see this in uh, that, that same thing. You, you kind of lose diversity as you go southward. So the gradient must have come uh, from north to south. Um, if the Mormons are right and the uh, Native Americans uh, or the, the Middle Easterns uh, established a colony in Mesoamerica, the gradient should go both ways, right? It should come right. uh, northward gradient from Mesoamerica and southward gradient down. But it looks like it's all north and, and spread out from uh, the Bering Strait. Um, Other independent lines of evidence confirm this picture, Matt. So testing the DNA from remains of pre-Columbian dogs uh, shows a Eurasian ancestry, uh, which means the dogs had to act as companions when the first Asians migrated across that land bridge, right? The DNA of bacteria H. pylori, this is a stomach pathogen, right, that causes ulcers. Um, This shows that Native American H. pylori is most closely linked to the H. pylori of East Asia. Imagine that. Are you saying even the dogs and the stomach bacteria are going against the Mormons? Yes, yes. So what do the Mormons have to say about all this stuff, Matt? Uh, They say, I don't know, what they just probably made some shit up. They (laughs) say, you know what, we were wrong. You're right. Sorry, our bad. The science has spoken. (laughs) 
<laughs> Science has never once trumped religious beliefs. Not once. Oh, but what isn't uh, DNA just the language of God? That's God <laughs> telling you you're wrong, asshole. <laughs> so they've come up with apologetics, of course. They've come up with explanations, ad hoc, post hoc explanations for this, um, which I find very funny because one of the um, leading proponents of, of DNA apologetics is John Sorensen, uh, who in 1985 had this to say. Should some investigator find new methods to pursue research on the bloodline of a particular individual, family, or people, he or she might find that some Native Americans are directly descended from Nephites of ancient times, that some are descended in part from others in Lehi's or Mulex parties, that some are of Jaredite origin, and that still others have no discernible connection to any of those. Scientific, genealogical, or historical methods are not available, but more important, the scriptures indicate that the results would not matter as far as the church and the gospel are concerned. So, <laughs> so he's, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth there. He says, so should some new scientific avenue of investigation open up, what we would find is that you'd find, you know, some people are descended from Nephites, some people are descended from Lamanites, some Mulek, some Jaredites. Um, but even if you didn't find that, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. What's important is the scriptures. And that's basically at the foundation of all these apologetics. The scriptures are more important than facts. Right. Now, uh, given the fact that LDS apologists such as Idaho State biologist D. Jeffrey Meldrum and Trent D. Stevens uh, have gone on record admitting that 99.6% of Native American DNA is of Asian origin, how do they respond to claims of DNA evidence that, you know, that, that that refutes the Book of Mormon, right? Um, most take the tack, as John Sorensen does, that, that a global hypothesis has been ruled out. So what they say is that uh, it's impossible for Lehi to have been the ancestor of all of the Native Americans. So what 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 is more probable, they say, uh, is the local hypothesis. So what, what they say is that a small group of Israelites colonized a small portion of of Mesoamerica about 2,600 years ago. And, and that small group was subsumed by larger surrounding populations, right? This, this model, they'll emphasize, has not been ruled out. And they say, it cannot be ruled out. Woohoo! We're done! Yay! <laughs> it's untestable, unverifiable, sold! This is what they call the limited geography model. This struck me, and I think it strikes most Mormons, as a very odd model. Um, because the Book of Mormon never mentions any other people. It never mentions that they came upon Gentiles, for example, right? Um, it certainly wasn't Joseph Smith's understanding of the Book of Mormon. He made many statements across uh, many years to say that he believed that the Book of Mormon peoples ranged across all of North and South America. He sent people on missions to the Lamanites, right? Right. In Joseph Smith's history that he wrote himself, uh, he said, He called me by name and said unto me that he was a messenger. He's talking about uh, Moroni, the angel that appeared in his room. He called me by name and said unto me that he was a messenger sent from the presence of God to me, and that his name was Moroni. He said there was a book deposited, written upon golden plates, giving an account of the former inhabitants of this continent and the source from which they sprang. That's Joseph Smith History, chapter 1, verses 33 through 34. Um, and isn't it really odd that... Uh, God says he's hidden this land, but he just means this small area of land where Lehi landed in right. Mesoamerica. 
There's a secret valley. Oh, God. Um, so in uh, Ether again, um, chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, when the Jaredites came over, uh, they said that the, they had gone to a land where there had there never had man been, right? Uh, that's ridiculous if uh, the uh, original migration was somewhere between 14 and 22,000 years ago across the Bering Strait. This is just 4,200 years ago that, that uh, the brother of Jared would have come across. And again, Second Nephi 1, chapters 8 through 11, Behold, it is wisdom that this land should be kept as yet from the knowledge of other nations. For behold, many nations would overrun the land, and that there would be no place for inheritance. Wherefore I, Lehi, have obtained a promise, that inasmuch as those whom the Lord God shall bring out of the land of Jerusalem shall keep his commandments, they shall prosper upon the face of this land, <clears throat> and they shall be kept from all other nations, that they may possess this land unto themselves. And if it so be that they shall keep his commandments, they shall be blessed upon the face of the land, and there shall be none to bless them, nor to take away the land of their inheritance, and they shall dwell safely forever. That sounds nice. But behold, oh, when the time cometh that they shall dwindle in unbelief, so much for forever, <laughs> having all the commandments from the beginning, and having been brought by his infinite goodness unto this precious land of promise, behold, I say... If the day shall come that they will reject the Holy One of Israel, the true Messiah, their Redeemer, and their God. This is said, by the way, in about 600 B.C. Behold, the judgments of him that is all that is just shall rest upon them. Yea, he will bring other nations unto them, and he shall give them power, and he will take away from them the lands of their possessions, and he will cause them to be scattered and smitten. Now that sounds like Columbus, right? And all the people afterwards and the united states for example yeah. driving the indians out of their land across the trail of tears oh so it was prophesized except just... jo john Sorensen wrote a, a 33 page uh essay about how that was fulfilled in their day <laughs> he uh. brought he brought other native americans during that time to smite them right See, Behold! <laughs> all you have to do is interpret this stuff correctly, Matt. That's all you got to oh. do. So we're working with the same material. We just interpret it differently. Yes, as they always do. <laughs> uh, in, in Alma 43, uh, verse 13, And the people of Ammon did give unto the Nephites a large portion of their substance to support their armies. Thus the Nephites were compelled alone to withstand against the Lamanites, who were a compound of Laman and Lemuel, and the sons of Ishmael, and all those who had dissented from the Nephites, <laughs> who were Amalekites and Zoramites, and the descendants of the priests of Noah. A large portion of their substance compels you. <laughs> Notice, in that, in that verse, Alma lists everyone, right? He gave uh, unto the Nephites a large portion of their substance to support their armies, and he lists all of the Lamanites, right? Laman, Lemuel, sons of Ishmael, and those who descended from Nephites, Amalekites, Zoramites, the sins of the priests of Noah. Nowhere does he mention any Gentiles. No Gentiles. No Gentiles? That's what Sorensen said, you know, that, that you, you don't interpret it as it has always been interpreted, as, as post-Columbian invasion in the United States driving the American Indians, Native Americans out of their lands. But uh, these other peoples called the, the uh, Lamanites, right, they just en masse came in there and invaded. But uh, that's disputed by Alma, who says who lists out every portion that makes up the Lamanites, and he doesn't mention Gentiles at all. Well, that's the great thing about interpretation. You could just keep doing it over and over. <laughs> <laughs> In um, 385 A.D., Mormon, 
uh, after whom the Book of Mormon is uh, called, right? And they're, yeah. they're all called Mormon. Mormons. This is the prophet Mormon. You know, the Mormons. This. And now behold, I would speak somewhat unto the remnant of this people who were spared, if it so be that God may give unto them my words, that they may know of the things of their fathers. Yea, I speak unto you, ye remnant of the house of Israel. Know ye that ye are of the house of Israel. So he's talking to Native Americans in Joseph Smith's time, right? When ah, yeah, yeah. Forth. Know ye that ye are the house of Israel. And uh, we talked, I think, about the Doctrine and Covenants uh, in section 3, verse 16 through 18, God speaking. Nevertheless, my work shall go forth, for inasmuch as the knowledge of the Savior has come unto the world through the testimony of the Jews, even so shall the knowledge of a Savior come unto my people, and to the Nephites, and the Jacobites, and the Josephites, and the Zoramites through the testimony of their fathers. And this testimony shall come to the knowledge of the Lamanites, and the Lemuelites, and the Ishmaelites, who dwindled in unbelief because of the iniquity of their fathers, whom the Lord has suffered to destroy their brethren the Nephites because of their iniquities and their abominations. So again, he's talking in the 1800s to Joseph Smith about the Native Americans as Lamanites. And so if these guys were descended from Eastern Siberia, then what the fuck? God's senile. A little bit. Uh, Doctrine and Covenants 19, uh, verses 26 through 27. This is a revelation from God to Martin Harris, who, as you might recall, <laughs> was the idiot. Mortgaged his farm <laughs> in order to publish the Book of Mormon, right? The sucker. And again, I command thee that thou shalt not covet thine own property, but impart it freely to the printing of the Book of Mormon, which contains the truth in the Word of God, which is my word to the Gentile, that it soon may go to the Jew, of whom the Lamanites are a remnant, that they may believe the gospel and not look for a Messiah to come who has already come. So the again, Jew? It should go to Jew-Gentile and the Lamanites, who are remnants of the Jews. <laughs> ah, I thought it was just like one Jew. It's like that one guy in town. Make sure he gets a copy. So, um, pretty much every prophet, even recently, you know, even uh, the guys who bless temples, you know, to open them up, they'll give a little um, convocation, or, or they'll bless the temple, and they'll, they'll uh, in South America, talk to them about uh, how they're Lamanites <laughs> and the remnant of the house of Israel. But You may be dark and loathsome, but there is hope. <laughs> apparently, these um, uh, LDS apologists know better than the prophets, and even apparently they know better than God, as evidenced mm-hmm. in the Doctrine and Covenants. I just love that 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 revelation from God to Martin Harris. I mean, what a con, but Joseph Smith. Covet not hey. your own property. <laughs> this, I just got this letter from God for you. Here. <laughs> Coincidentally, it says, uh, <clears throat> fund me. Yeah. Give me fund- money. Mortgage your farm. <laughs> All right, so specifically about DNA, LDS apologists do what apologists do best. They traffic in ignorance. They they revel in what we don't know. And so they say, you know, uh, look, we don't know enough about DNA to make any firm conclusions based on this research. <laughs> I mean, there could be some genetic effect that would obscure Jewish lineages, right? Um, they they uh, point to two like, effects. Oh, there's two. Uh, the founder effect and genetic drift. So the founder effect, in a nutshell, means that uh, a small population that breaks off from a larger population will typically not have the same genetic makeup of its larger parent population, right? There's bound to be some loss of diversity. That's true. And it would apply to the founding group of Lehi's family 
But wouldn't it also apply uh-huh. to the founding oh. group of the initial Asian population that migrated across the Bering Strait 14,000 years ago? And and then how can we can trace their DNA straight back to Lake Baikal? I mean, what not it extremely unlikely that every single uh, Middle Eastern Jewish genetic marker would be lost over a mere uh, 2,600 years? No, no, because there's no uh, other way to to test that or uh, – I'm probably getting ahead of you. Anyway, continue. I, I mean Lehi's family would have to um, either A, bear no Middle Eastern markers or B, have all of those markers mutated out. Well, maybe they just chased it, traced it in the wrong direction, Chuck. Do you ever think about that? Maybe they went west instead of east <laughs> from Lake Baikal. <laughs> They went the long way. <laughs> yeah, good point. They fucking sailed across instead of crossed the <laughs> land bridge. They stopped in Israel for a while, they converted, and then they kept on going. They sailed underneath South America and went all the way up to Alaska. Well, there's no Panama Canal. Oh, we-, <laughs> <laughs> we can say the same thing about genetic drift. Genetic drift is a shift in allele frequency that occurs from generation to generation, not because of natural selection, but just due to chance, right? right. So um, if genetic drift didn't significantly affect the Asian haplogroups, why would it have affected uh, Lehi's group? Uh, hold on. I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking. <laughs> ah, I got nothing. And I, I would say that any apologetic that uh, the Mormons come up with, unfortunately, faces the fact that we have an independent test of very similar claims from a tribe in Africa called the Lemba. Ah, that's the one I was thinking of. So in, um, in Africa, there's a Bantu-speaking population known as the Lemba, the number about 50,000 people who claimed to be descended from Jews who arrived in Africa shortly after um, the Babylonian captivity. So this is very similar to Mormon claims, right? Do they have a book? The <laughs> <laughs> No, damn it. Um, they have a flag. The Mormon claims is that Lehi left shortly before the Babylonian captivity, around 600. Um, the Lemba claims that, that it would be after the Babylonian captivity, so around five. 40 or 537. The oral tradition is the group of male Jews uh, came from a city called Sena uh, and shipwrecked off the east coast uh, of Africa. The tribal rituals include circumcision, food taboos, and the use of biblical names. So these could be Jewish customs, but they could also have a Muslim or Afghani uh, origin, right, later on. So right. it's very similar to um, Book of Mormon claims, right? Um, it's possible. Uh, and we just have to put it to the test. So there's a village in Yemen called Sena, uh, whose inhabitants share similar tribal names with Alemba. Actually, the sons of Sena uh, are um, mentioned in the Bible, uh, Ezra 2.35, as returning from Babylonian exile in about 537. It is possible that they founded the village of Sena in Yemen, and from there a small population uh, sailed off uh, and then shipwrecked near East Africa. Um, and this is where the kind of the Lemba tribe got their traditions from, right? It's at least plausible. Right. So we got a claim that's remarkably similar to the claims of the Book of Mormon. You have a group of Jewish individuals sailing from Middle East about 2,600 years ago, landing on a coast of a new continent. If the Lemba claims of Jewish descent are true, should we expect to find any trace of Jewish DNA? Or are the Mormon apologists correct that we shouldn't expect to, like, 
it all fucking mutate away, right? Or right. genetic drift, or maybe there's a founder effect. So, no, we shouldn't. No trace. That's what I'm going with. So, according to Exodus, the sons of Aaron were given priestly responsibilities that passed down from father to son. Uh, this group of priests was called the Kohanim, or Kohen Jews. Uh, interestingly, DNA testing on Jews with the surname Kohen or Kohn shows approximately 50% have identical Y chromosomes. And that's found in about 15% of Israeli Jews uh, and about 5% of the Levite priests. Um, it's actually absent in non-Jewish Semitic population. So this is a pretty good marker, uh, this, this uh, Y chromosome. In 2000, uh, researchers put Lemba t- claims to the test by studying Lemba DNA. It turns out about 70% of Y chromosomes in the Lemba tribe turned out to be Semitic, and the remaining 30% were derived from surrounding Bantu populations. So there's um, intermarriage going on, but there's a remarkable, I mean, 70%, that's pretty impressive. About 10% of Lemba Y chromosomes turned out to be identical to Cohen Y chromosomes. Damn it! I chose the wrong side again. So it turns out that yes, we do have a genetic marker. About the same time, about 2,600 years, it is still there, and it turns out that their claims are actually true. So what does that say about Mormon apologetics? It's bullshit. Fuck you is what it says. (laughs) Well, that sounds really convenient for these secularist atheist scientists. Do you know what John Sorensen had to say about the Lemba DNA? He said, Um, that is an example of DNA studying done right. Ah. So when you do it correctly, it bolsters the Mormon claims. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, apparently, all of the testing was done incorrectly on uh, Native Americans. (laughs) So what do we have to wrap it all up? We have Wrap it up. 99.6% of Native American DNA falling uh, within one of the five founding haplogroups, A, B, C, D, and X. Those all came from the initial migration across that Bering Strait from Siberia about 14,000 plus years ago. So Mormons have the remaining 0.4% as the only space that uh, apologists have uh, room to fit the Book of Mormon populations <laughs> into. Uh, unfortunately for them, most of that 0.4% is probably due to European gene flow after the arrival of Columbus. And actually, upon testing, the patterns are entirely consistent with a post-1492 introduction. So really, you have nearly 0% chance that the Mormon religion is correct and accurate. Nearly zero. Nearly zero. <laughs> so why, why you got to be a hater, Chuck? Jeez, give him give him point four. You can't give him point four. I am, I am persecuting the Mormons. What was that? What was that percentage that you gave that was the closest uh, to zero that it was ever imagined? That's the percentage I'm giving that the Book of Mormon is an accurate historical account of uh, the history of the uh, Americas. So the chance that Native Americans are Mormons is. A number so close to zero as to almost be zero. Yes. <laughs> yes. As to be mathematically indistinguishable from zero, that Native Americans are of Hebrew <laughs> ancestry, and the Book of Mormon is an accurate history of uh, their ancestors. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We should be back in two weeks. If not, fuck you. Two weeks with... 